And welcome to the Music Matters Media Podcast. I'm Lisa. And I'm Eric. And today we have a really exciting episode. We are going to be speaking with Connor Sherland, who is a singer-songwriter from California. And he describes himself as indie rock and folk and all that good stuff. (laughs) That's awesome. That sounds like a really nice mixed bag. Yeah, and when I listened to him for the first time, you know, he reached out and I, I checked his music out and I was like, wow, this guy really sounds like a cross between Jason Mraz and Hosier. That's very interesting. Yes, yeah, so definitely loved what I heard and so glad to have him on today. But before we can get into our interview with him, we have our listener segment for our listeners all across the world, top three countries of this week. Eric, are you ready to go? Ready as always. Okay, sounds great. Coming in at number three, we have Colombia. Nice, man. Nice to see them come back. Yes. Welcome, Colombia, back to our list. Thank you for making the top three this week. And coming in at number two, we have Mexico. Nice. Another comeback. Very nice. Coming in at number one, we have the United Kingdom. They are setting a record, man. They really are. Listen, to our other countries tuning in and listening in, we greatly appreciate you. But it's going to take a lot for somebody to knock the United Kingdom off of their pedestal at number one. They have been coming in at number one for weeks now. So congratulations to the United Kingdom for holding their number one spot and going strong for several weeks. Yeah, you guys don't play around, man. I love the dedication. Yes, I love the fan base we have over there. But more importantly, I love the fan base we have in all of our countries all across the world. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to click play. It means the world to both of us. So there you have it. This week we have Colombia at number three, Mexico at number two, and number one, the United Kingdom. But have no fear for our listeners out there because if you want to make it into our list next week, all you have to do is share this podcast with your friends, with your family, or with any loved ones you may have, and we could be shouting you out next. All right, guys, so here we go. Here's our interview today with Connor Sherlin. It's going to be a great one, so I hope you guys all enjoy. Hi, Connor, how are you? You are on now with Lisa and Eric. Hey, man. Hey there, guys. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Just hanging out at home on my Sunday. What about you guys? So excited to talk to you today, honestly. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. So can you do me a favor and just introduce yourself for our listeners, please? Yeah, so my name is Connor Sherland, and I'm a singer-songwriter from Santa Barbara, California. And I recently uh, wrote an album called The Choices of John Still and um, made it a record with the help of an indie rock band called The Rare Occasion. 
How would you mm-hmm. describe your sound for first-time listeners? Yeah, so my typical like everyday sound is a lot of indie folk Americana sort of stuff. And um, the album that I'm coming out with is a little bit closer to indie rock and singer-songwriter um, sort of sound to it. Very nice. I read that you were an athlete first. So you were an athlete who played volleyball back in high school. How did you go from being the high school jock to the musician? Yeah, great question. Um, So yeah, I did not grow up in a musical situation. Like, my dad is just that typical dad who, like, listens to Journey and Genesis. And um, it wasn't until I was about 21 in college that um, I was put in charge of this old band at my school and I had to learn how to sing learn how to play guitar learn how to lead a band all at once so uh, I kind of learned it all at around age 21 and have continued to practice it since and I know you also said in your bio that your parents previously met on the court yes so they they met on the volleyball court when uh, when my mom was I think 18 and uh, my dad went out to her car and was like, what's up, girl? I'm going to marry you. She was like, ha, ha, And then they did. Um, and so they were both volleyball players. They had my sister, who was a volleyball player. And then they had me, who they also turned into a volleyball player. So how was that transition for them? Was it hard for them to grasp the fact that you went from being the athlete to being a musician? Or did they support you in that choice? My parents are miraculously supportive. They uh, were not supportive of me not being an athlete. They're basically, their their thing is like, while you have the opportunity to do things, you should probably do them. Um, So when I was moving from high school to college, they realized, you know, this kid is still 5'9", and he's trying to play a tall man's sport. So chances (laughs) are that's not going to happen. Um, so he should probably, I don't know, get some hobbies or something. And, uh, yeah, I ended up, yeah, later on (laughs) switching over to music and I had a knack for it and they, they were very supportive. They were glad that I found something else to kind of scratch that volleyball itch. (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm glad that they support you. Yes. As am I. I'm kind of a mama's boy. So if they were not supportive, I'm sure I'd be crippled inside. It would be tough. It would be tough. Yes. If anybody else has their parents not supporting them and they don't do anything, I'm like, hmm, I relate to that. I don't even blame you. <laughs> I mean, hopefully you get over it, but if you don't, I can. <laughs> so when did you first realize that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Um, there was a point in my, so after I graduated college, I worked at a software company in Goleta called Appfolio. Goleta is just a little bit north of Santa Barbara. And um, I was building websites for property managers. And um, there was a certain amount of time where I would, there, there's a span of time where I was working in the day building these property management websites. And then at night, um, for a lot of nights of the week, I would be playing these gigs and uh, eventually it started to cut into my work time because I was doing so much work uh, outside of the nine to five. Um, so my boss kind of noticed that and he was just like, hey, I really like your work ethic here. I think you're a great member of the team. I would love to see more of your effort uh, used up here in this space um, if you ever want to continue to move up in the company. 
And pretty much at the same time, music was saying that same thing to me, where I had to pass on a lot of opportunities because of the job that I was holding down. Um, so it was at that time that I had to kind of commit to one or the other in a, uh, in a more pronounced way. And I decided, well, if there's ever a good time to quit a nine to five, it's in your early 20s. So uh, that was my choice. Ain't that the truth? Because you have the time to do it. Yeah, I was uh, I was very nervous. Speaking of like being uh, very accommodating toward my parents, I I made a slideshow for them so that um, they could go through the slideshow and understand my reasons for leaving the job and to take and, it seriously, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although it is kind of a juvenile thing to not have a conversation, I'd rather just create a PowerPoint. Here, just play this right real quick. I'll be right back when you're yeah, done. Yeah, play this PowerPoint. Don't worry, it has songs in the background. They're not mine. Don't worry. <laughs> And I'm sure that must have been a no-brainer to pick music instead of the 9 to 5 because I've heard a lot of stories where they say the same thing you did. You know, we had jobs that we really liked, but at the same yeah. time, I had to see what was out there for me. Yeah, I mean, it's um, my, my hope is that I don't live a life filled with regret and missed opportunities. It, there, are, there are so many good things about a 9 to 5, and I didn't really get to appreciate them until I left mine. Um, so things like a janitorial staff, like I am my own janitorial staff. Um, so like all of the bathroom cleaning, all of the house cleaning, like all of that, uh, like all of the IT work, like making sure the internet is up. Um, that all falls on your shoulders now. Yeah, it all, it all falls onto your shoulders. And I think that like having an IT staff and like if you are in the nine to five, I think the best thing to do is to learn like every person from a different team try to learn everything that you can from them because if you ever do need to leave or want to leave, you're going to have to do all of their jobs. Right. And uh, you should have some sort of framework for how to do that. So that way you at least have the tools to move forward. Right. Exactly. So I know you also play guitar as well. Yep. Did, did you ever take lessons or are you self-taught? Um, I, so I got a guitar when I was about 10 years old and I kind of saw the same guy it was like it was like fifty dollars for like a half an hour, and um, he would just kind of like teach me these chords and like these couple songs, and it was cool. But um, I didn't really start learning guitar until like I was around twenty one, um, when I had to start leading that band in college, and that was when I started taking it really seriously, like actually putting the time in and like thinking about theory, thinking about how music works. And then, uh, yeah, and then I kind of built from there. So that's, I mean, I'm still learning guitar <laughs> in, in a very serious way right now. Do you play any other instruments as well? Yeah, I can play the piano in like a very elementary way. Um, ukulele was like a big thing for me for a while. Oh, that's um, fun. Yeah. And I mean, when you, when you can play both of those instruments, like there are a lot of other uh, adjacent instruments like melodicas or accordions and stuff that are possible to play with but they're basically the same instrument so what would you say your songwriting process is like do you work on the lyrics first or the sound of a song yeah it, uh, it really depends so this uh this title track that's coming out next friday the choices of john still that was one where uh, i was really listening to a lot of coheed and cambria at the time nice and yeah i'm, I'm a huge fan of them and um, I I was thinking about how I didn't have enough creepy songs in my repertoire, um, so I, I wanted I was playing around with this kind of creepy melody, um, 
And then from there, I was kind of thinking about like what picture would come uh, in, in light of that melody. And I, in my mind, saw this very like dusty hallway, um, like this dusty staircase um, with like creaky floorboards and stuff. And then started hashing out that story. And um, yeah, so it, it was basically like the, the kernel of, of a melody. And then I like went for a couple really long walks on that day and uh, just sort of fleshed out what that person's life would look like and started writing about them. So you would say every song that you write, it has a different kind of flow. Sometimes you, you have an idea and you work based off of that lyrically and then other times work on the melody first and then the lyrics come after and fall into place afterward. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, it really depends. But for me, because I'm less skilled musically, it's helpful if I can find a, a, um, some sort of guitar riff that can really speak to me and then that way I can start right, building lyrics around right. it. You have versus a bass. Vice versa. Yeah, vice versa. I have a really hard time with that. Gotcha. And yeah. speaking about your musical influences, you have a wide range of them from Eminem <laughs> to Ed Sheeran to A Day to Remember, who I personally love. Love that band. As you should. <laughs> Does it help you as an artist to have such an open ear and broad taste in music, do you think? Yeah, I just I just don't think, like, every, everyone's interested in, they're saying, like, oh, pop punk sucks, or, like, EDM sucks, or, like, trap music sucks. And I'm like, look, a lot of people like a lot of different stuff. Find, like, the catchiest and, like, the most meaningful stuff of that genre to you, and then pull from it as much as you can. Because, like, if you're Nelly, and, like, Nelly back in the 2000s, he pulled in Tim McGraw, like it was a huge country star. At yes, the time. yes. And he wrote, and he wrote over and over again, which was like a great collab. Favorite. Yeah, it was like my favorite Nelly song for like the longest time, and uh, like that's the kind of thing where like everybody in hip hop and rap, I'm sure at the time was like, dude, that's the lamest thing you could do. Like I would not have gotten so into Nelly had that song not been made. Breaking so, the boundaries. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's and it's what nobody else was doing, so it helped differentiate them too. So that definitely helps you, the fact that you can pull things from each genre of music and kind of get ideas all across the board instead of staying in a, a box. Yeah, there's a, there's one song on this next album that, that I'm, I'm putting out, and it's uh, there's like one line specifically that's like very influenced by Hilary Duff. And cool. Like, <laughs> like people, if people remember Hillary Duff's music career, it was like very short. Yeah, like people know about it. But like, I really enjoyed the Metamorphosis album when I was a kid. Yes, come and, on, uh, coming clean. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, coming clean. Everyone's about that. <laughs> I need to know when it comes to writing music. What are some things that inspire you? Um, a lot of it is just my life, and like certain things that frustrate me are a very big inspiration like I'm always very curious about what frustrates me um because it it means that I don't know what to do uh and it's, it's really easy to write songs about things that you know uh but they always turn out really corny because you always synthesize the information way too quick and then like way too pithy of a way and uh I think when I when I come across something that I don't understand like there's so much in politics I don't understand religion I don't understand like races that I don't understand, like sexuality I don't understand, like even, like I'm, I'm married now, there's so many things with my own marriage I don't understand. Oh, congratulations and, uh, though for being married. Yeah, <laughs> I always, 
always I always tell people to be careful about congratulating others on their marriage because you have no idea if it's good or not. <laughs> like, incidentally, mine is great. But <laughs> I'm always like, well, marriage is only as cool as the person you're with. Very true. Otherwise, well said. Otherwise, that's just not that fun. <laughs> um, but mine is very fun. Yeah, so I would say the like the, this this album came about by me not really understanding the desire within myself to like control my wife. Um, I think when I was a kid, I dated all these girls and really what I was doing is I had an ideal of a future that I wanted to have. And I was just trying to fit them all into this mold. And I was trying to like force them to marry me, not like by force, but just like consistently, like the whole point of dating was like to coerce them to marry me so that I could like feel some sense of security and safety in myself. And, uh, now I'm realizing marriage is like the exact opposite of that. (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's give and take. Yeah. And it's, it's understanding like there's a, there's a person with actual desires and differences from you and everything that's different about them is actually something that you just don't understand that well. And, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of mystery and, um, working through subjects that I haven't had to before. Um, yeah, and that sort of comes out in this album. Would you say that songwriting is therapeutic for you? Absolutely, yeah. I've uh, so I journaled since 2009 pretty pretty frequently. Um, yeah, so when I like first came to college, I was journaling like for two hours a day. It was pretty ridiculous, um, which shows you how much time you actually have in college. When I started songwriting in 2014, that was sort of when I made the shift away from my journal as much and um started trying to work it out through melody and try to work it out through sketchy tunes in general when you write your lyrics do you tend to craft stories like fictional stories or are you more autobiographical or semi-autobiographical um i so just recently i've been really intrigued by writing other people's stories It, it it gets too simple too quickly um, when I start writing about myself on a personal level, um, just because the, the, the things in my life are pretty simple. If I am in a fight with my wife or my parents about something, uh, I can't, like, it's, it's hard for me to be, like, straight up and, uh, like, a little bit cryptic about it. But if I, um, like, recently, are, are either of you guys a fan of, like, Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah, again, as you should be. It's one of the best shows, I think, that have ever existed. Um, but, like, I, I mean, I'm, everyone is so intrigued with Prince Zuko and his story arc, and I think that he, like, as someone who was banished, as someone who feels like he has something to prove, and then as someone who realizes that, like, his hatred is not the source of his power, but, like, uh, love and creativity and energy is, like, the pure source of his power, um, he, yeah, he's always been extremely interesting to me, his relationship with his uncle, his father, his sister, his girlfriend. Um, so sometimes I'll kind of think about him and write stories about him. And as, as I write about him, I'm relating to him. Like we, we see ourselves in his character, which is why we relate to him so much. Um, so that's like one example of how, um, how I'll write from a more fictional standpoint. But other times, I'll, like, just start making up a story, and 
it turns out it'll be about me at the end. But <laughs> I wrote it about, uh, like, I have a song called Toad Boy, and it's about a boy toad who was uh, born as a walrus and has to learn how to uh, put down his walrus skin in order to be his little toad self. That's awesome, man. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also like a, a sillier way to uh, to approach the job of writing, which is like you have to remember not to take yourself that seriously all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And yep. uh, what's it like putting yourself in another person's shoes and writing from their perspective? Is that difficult at first or does it come naturally to you? It, it, it has, like writing in general has varying levels of difficulty. Like sometimes... It just comes out, and other times I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall for hours. What, what, what was really cool about this album that I'm coming out with is that um, it's all from a different person's perspective, and um, like I am not a character in the story that I'm telling, um, but all of those characters reflect me. Um, and what, what was really helpful was that I bought this, this uh, vocal processor that was able to... Uh, sort of transpose my voice an octave down so I could sound kind of like a monster. Nice. That's then, really cool. Yeah, and then it could also transpose my uh, voice one octave up so that I could sound like a woman. So there were times where I could just, like, sit in my house and play it through the loudspeakers, and I'd be singing into this microphone, but the girl's voice was turned up more. So um, it sounded like a woman singing in the house. Different and, perspectives. Uh, yeah, it was a very different perspective, and like when you hear someone else's voice come through the speaker, like it becomes pretty easy to like um, distance yourself from it. Or it's like, man, what like like that that like a different voice, like words sound better using different voices. Yeah, I think that was that was huge for me in this album, being able to really distance myself and uh, sort of let my subconscious take over. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you've previously released a six-song EP called Wanting Man and an album called Tall Tales. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, Wanting Man came out in, uh, would it come out 2015? No, 2016 probably. And then, well, yeah, Tall Tales came out in 2017. So as yeah. opposed to those two releases, what can we expect from your new album coming out in September? Yeah, it's gonna be totally different. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the, great. That's great. It's good to switch yeah, it up. The other, yeah, the other things they're they're kind of a result of just like the start of my musical career. Like, I wanted I wanted to write forty songs in six months to see if I could be a good songwriter. Um, and so, sort of my hypothesis was like, if in forty songs. I can't find six good ones, then I should probably quit. But if in 40 songs I can, then I should keep doing it. Right. And uh, yeah, so the the Wanting Man album is the um, is the response to the first 40, and then the Tall Tales album is a response to my second 40. It is like both a like a muscle and a DNA thing, and I think that um, some people are just gonna have a harder time with it. Some are gonna have an easier time, but like either way. It's just, it just gets better with repetition, and it it feels like it doesn't, and it feels like you're getting worse a lot of the time, but you're probably not. <laughs> what are some aspects about this new album that you think separates itself from your previous work? Um, this is the most collaborative piece I've ever done. Um, this was done with a another band that's based over in Pasadena, and um, 
they're a wonderful indie rock band in their own right and they're friends of mine and um it was good like the, the, the other albums that i've done the first two those were with this production company called true tone productions and that guy's based in san diego now and um it was just me and this other guy in a room and that was pretty much it and that was like the amount of collaboration involved um so there wasn't like a wide range of opinions going into the making of it but this this album that i'm coming out with like it had an actual rock band involved um so when they would when they would make suggestions they could actually like pull off some really yeah, some, some like really interesting and uh, very skilled techniques that like me and a lot of other people couldn't regularly pull off. We um, so we rehearsed a little bit um, in one of their houses in Pasadena, and um, that was basically to figure out like what's like the timing of the songs we want, um, like how many beats per minute, um, what is the structure of each song, and then we just wanted to finalize all. Uh, all the chords and vocal pieces and then we did a day of bass and drums and then we did a couple days of acoustic guitar and electric guitar and then um the guy who like helped me produce it his name is brian mclaughlin he's kind of the lead singer of the rare occasions so he laid in his own uh like some of his vocals and some of his uh, organ and then yeah the final part was just adding in my voice did you guys have any challenges that you faced while recording this album or is things pretty much smooth sailing once you kind of vibed with the rest of the band members uh it's pretty smooth like we we got along really well we're all sort of like none of us are alpha males which is a really nice dynamic when we're all like when we show up we're all very calm and we're right none of us is really nobody's really struggling for control Right, yeah, none of us needs to prove that we're right about something, and all of us are willing to be told to do something different. Um, yeah, so it makes for a really good collaborative environment. Um, the only thing, like, we, <laughs> I think we initially intended it to be out August 1st. As we were going along with it, it was just, it, it felt really rushed to put it out August 1st, and it, um, yeah, it just made a lot more sense to push it back a month as, like, I was going on a June tour, they were going on a June tour, and we could really use the extra weeks to, um, yeah, to like make sure we had everything that we needed. Yeah, polish it off before you send it out. Speaking about touring, I know you play a lot of shows across California. What is your favorite part of playing in front of people? My favorite part of playing in front of people, one, little kids. Little kids are the cutest things in the world, especially when they're dancing. Um, just yesterday, yeah, two days ago, actually, I was playing a gig in Santa Barbara, and this little kid was, I mean, air quoting the word dancing here, uh, like little kids will just like march in a circle, <laughs> and then like kind of like throw their arms up and down repeatedly, and that is dancing, but it's like, sure, like, why isn't that, that's totally dancing, I agree, um, and that's how I feel a lot of days, <laughs> march in a circle, throw your arms up and down. Um, you're making so them feel that, something that's what that's all that matters exactly yeah and um so that's one of my favorite things and in general i just like meeting new people i like i like the feeling of like this gig might be the first time that someone who like has a bunch of leverage like it might be the first time that, that they encounter my music and it might be like 
the start of a really cool relationship. Right. You never know who's watching. You never know who's in the crowd. Yeah. And like, I met the rare occasions by playing a show and like, I'm again, I'm not like from a musical background. So I'm kind of just thrown into this musical mix and, uh, like whoever, whoever I play for ends up being the next person that I collaborate with. (laughs) And, uh, that's, that's like a really fun dynamic. It's really scary and involves a lot of, uh, a lot of random encounters and a lot of like meeting people for coffee and seeing what they're like and figuring out if you want to work together. A lot of networking. It's a lot of networking. <laughs> it's like the majority of the job. Do you ever plan on doing a cross country tour? A cross country tour. I uh, I did get to play in New York uh, in November of 2016, which was cool. Um, but that was just for like one gig. What venue? Um, I played the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music. Oh, very nice. Um, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, I, I would be down for a cross-country tour. The thing is, like right now, with the amount of money that I make playing music, like it is, it, it needs to be a profitable business. Like I make my living playing music, so I need to be able to live off of its profit. Right. Um, which I am hoping will continue to increase so that I can also pour back into the business a bit. But yeah, the I mean, people also ask about um, if I'd ever be willing to put out a full-length album. And the answer is sort of the same of like, yes, if there is more money coming into the system. So like right now, I don't crowdfund for any of the albums that I make. That, that money comes straight out of money that I've made from gigs. Um, and then I sell those albums at those gigs until they've paid themselves off. So that is, that's sort of where that stands. And most tours are not the most profitable in general, like at my stage of career. Right. So, and also just like knowing where, like uh, my, my level of clout does not, uh, does not require people to pay me very much when I show up in a town that I, haven't been before this this summer i went over to denver and austin uh, san diego and santa barbara and um like the amount of emails i need to put out just to get some people to say yes because i am like basically an unknown artist so i'll, I'll put out like 20 emails and get one response that's a maybe and then another 20 and get one response that's a yes and uh i think i think as long as that is the case there will probably be just these like shorter two week summer tours and uh yeah if if demand were to increase i'd be all over it (laughs) ideally though what places would you like to visit if you could oh man i would love to play den uh to play the red rocks in denver i would love to play pappy and harriet in joshua tree i'd love to play i would just love to play all over new york there's like so many rooftops in Los Angeles and New York that are like crazy beautiful. I'd love to be a part of them. There's also just like a subculture of like crazy rich adults who love to pay musicians to play at their house. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> and like that market is super fun for me because house shows are like one of my favorite things to do. Because um, they're more intimate? Me, yeah, it gives me actual time to look into your eyes and like say thanks for being here and like hang out afterward and uh yeah busy clubs don't really give you that opportunity yeah so those would probably be my answers 
do you have a favorite show or favorite shows that you've played so far? Some of my favorite shows to do are so far shows. They're, um, there's this company called So Far Sounds, and they do intimate house concerts all over the United States and even abroad. So um, that show that I did in New York was with So Far. I did a show with them in Denver. I've done like lots of shows with them in San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, Santa Barbara. So those th- those are all like very intimate house shows, and yeah, it gives me a real chance to meet a lot of people. So we are so excited to premiere your new single, The Choices of John Still. I know you spoke about it a little bit earlier, but can you expand a little bit on the backstory of that song and what it means to you? Yeah, so the choices of John Still. Um, who is John Still? He's this guy who can kind of see into the future, and he realizes that the love of his life is not going to marry him. So he creates a potion to make her fall in love with him. And as that potion wears off, we meet him in the title track. So, um, when we meet him in this first song, he um, he has a wife who has uh, fallen out of love with him, and he is very obsessed with trying to make this potion thing work. And so, what what that means to me is uh, pretty much what I said before of like that whole notion of trying to get people to fit this mold of an ideal that you have, rather than sort of respecting them as individuals. And um, yeah, it, it captured a lot of those emotions I was feeling as I was about to get married and had to, like, wrestle with some of those parts inside of me and uh, say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this person be an actual person, even though we're different, even though we want different things. We're going to stick together. Uh, we're going to figure it out. Right, you accept them for who they are, and you work on each other's differences. Yeah, because, I, I mean, it all stems from me, so it's all technically personal. Um but it's, it's art, so it's supposed to be a little bit more abstract. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed that, that shift in the last couple of years of me uh, wanting to create these other characters and then fit those other characters into a narrative so that, um, so that you have both, like, the story in and of itself that could be of interest to you, and then you have its application to me, which could be of interest to you, and then you have its application to yourself, which is also interesting. So... Um, that, that to me feels more creative. Um, it feels even more self-exposing because then people, um, people can really read into it, um, knowing that I, I am basically all of these characters. And that's a very yeah, interesting, that. that's a very interesting story that you made in the song. Uh, so just a question, do things like books and movies influence your songwriting? Cause I know a lot of, uh, Artists that write songs like this will kind of throw that out there. A lot of movies, a lot of shows tend to uh, tend to come into play. Um, I got to read through a few good, like classic books in this last year. I got to read through uh, 1984. I got to read through Animal Farm. I got to read through East of Eden by Steinbeck. A lot and, of classics, um, man. All of them are. Yeah, they were all really interesting. They all, they all had like very depraved characters. Yeah, it's it it, it also just gives you um, like because because the main characters from East of Eden are not very popular in like this cultural moment. Um, you can like pull straight like quotes out of this book almost into your songs, or like pull pull like exact themes into your song and. Uh, 
people nowadays aren't aren't going to understand like where those exactly came from but they're uh yeah they're like very culturally relevant even though uh the characters are not so your new music is set to be released september 7th the choices of john still yeah what can we expect for the other songs on this release yeah they're all really different um they there's so there's a lot more rock influence on this album in total so there's going to be three songs that are pretty rocky um the first one the choices of john still the second one called kashi the deathless um the fifth song called scream louder those are all very like rock heavy songs um and then there are some softer songs the the like ending song is almost a lullaby it's called uh, for the weaver there's another song letters from emily which is also that's more of like a singer songwriter uh indie type and then there's like almost like a pop folk country situation going on with uh the second single it's called emmy lynn and uh that song was going to come out on the 24th we're so excited to listen to all these new songs yeah after these songs are released what future goals would you like to accomplish as an artist i would love to play more songs as a full band i think that putting out a, a record that's made for a full band to play live is a really good start because it tells people that you can pull that off. Yeah, so I would love to do that. Um, I would love to do more collaborations with not only just other musicians, but like I've, I've recently just really enjoyed like doing collaborations with photographers and like talking with visual artists. Um, that's have, a great uh, idea. Yeah, I have an artist. His name is uh, Phil Kiner, and he has done the album artwork for this album and the last two. And um, Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I can tell there was a theme between the covers. Very, uh, I could tell the, the art behind it was very similar. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've decided to keep it very like fantastic and uh, keep it around the idea of a monster and a little kid. And uh, we thought for this, this album, there, there is no monster, but there is a little kid. And it's very small in the background. And uh, we wanted the monster to, like, <laughs> we wanted to basically ask the question, like, who is the monster in this scenario? Um, sort of like how um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame starts off. It asks you, like, before the movie even starts, it asks you the question, who is the monster and who is the man? And I think you get to see, like, a very monstrous personality in, in this album, and you get to see a real kid personality. Going into um, this album, did you have that idea already? Or was it something that you started maybe with one song and then it led into this whole theme? Yeah, like, uh, the, the choices of John Still was the entry point into all of these other songs. And um, the Scream Louder is something that I had written a couple of years prior, but it just never had a good space to kind of, like, fit in. It was, like, too too fast and too weird of a rock song to really fit in with anything else. Um, but John, John still was sort of this really interesting character for me where I could really see myself in him and uh, understood that there was a lot to be said about that story. Um, so it, it gave me the motivation to, uh, to keep writing until I had enough things to fill in the EP. And I know earlier you were talking about some of the struggles that you have to go through as an up-and-coming musician with touring and money and funds for your music. 
Do you have any advice for other up-and-coming artists as well? Yeah, my advice in general would be play a lot. Um, That is pretty much the thesis of what I'm doing is like I didn't again I didn't I didn't come from a from a group of people who played music I, I had no friends who played music so it's pretty much like all right I'm gonna get this gig at this burger joint and I'm gonna play here on like two Thursday nights in a month and then from there someone saw me and was like do you want to play our Christmas party and from there someone saw me and was like do you want to play our winery and from there like five other people were like can you play at our wineries and then um so that that is a great place to start because it, it one it'll teach you what's popular like what catches someone's attention um i'm very clear about which songs catch people's attention and which do not um, and every artist needs to figure out the balance between what's catchy and what feels most true to them and um playing in public is a great way to do that because uh, it's fine if you're okay with everyone ignoring you, but every once in a while you should know how to pull their attention so that you can <laughs> entice them into your song. So, Connor, where can people support you and listen to your music, and where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so everything social media-wise is just Connor Churland, so C-O-N-N-E-R, and then share like the singer, land like the ground. So, um, yeah, even if you just know my last name, Sherland, you'll you'll find me everywhere on the internet. I'm like pretty much the only Sherland like on the internet at this point. My whole family is kind of pretty low key, so um, kind of the only search. I gotta tell you too, I get a lot of music submissions, right? So I yeah. check out a lot of people's websites and their social media and everything your website has to be one of if not the best website that i've seen in in terms of marketing and promoting (laughs) thank you so really really great job on that thank you yeah i try to i try to keep it up to date with all my all my recent gigs and uh the most recent singles that come out and uh yeah so that's that's my website so you can find me online if you want to support me i have a uh I'm, I have this album coming out, and I'm currently trying to incentivize people to buy three of these albums. That's how good I think it is. Um, and I'll send them some bonus materials as well. I made like a lyric booklet. I made um, stickers and buttons that go with the theme of the album. And um, and then I also have a Patreon page, and that link is on my website on the homepage. So all people have to do is just head over to your website, and it's all there for them. It's all there. The one thing I'm really pushing for right now is the album release show that's in Santa Barbara on the 7th of September. That's the day the album comes out. Um, yeah, that's the day that the rare occasions are going to come up. And uh, even the girl who's on, uh, who's singing on the album, she's going to be playing with me as well. And we're going to be, um, yeah, we're just going to be bringing some rock to Santa Barbara. Um, tickets are 10 bucks, And again, that's all on my website if you go to my store. Connor, that sounds great. I hope everybody gives you a listen and checks you out because you are a true talent and I really have faith in everything that you're doing. Thank you very much. Before we let you go, we are Music Matters Media, so I have to ask, why does music matter to you? Uh, Music matters to me because it is probably the easiest way to push a message into people's brains in a way that can kind of marinate in their subconscious for a couple of years. Um, so 
even if they don't understand it the first time, um, a melody combined with lyrics can sort of get stuck in their brain. And then in two years later, they might accidentally sing it in passing and actually think about the lyrics. And uh, that's when the message might get through. So I think it gives you a better opportunity to, um, to get your point across and it uh, gets you a better opportunity to actually make your way into someone else's heart. Well said. Yeah, man, that was great. Thank you, Thank you so much for coming on today, Connor. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, letting me be on the show. All right. Thanks. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, guys, that was Connor Sherlin, indie rock and folk singer-songwriter from California. He has a new project coming out that you all need to go check out, listen to, and support. It's coming out on September 7th, and it's called The Choices of John Still. Extremely talented guy, fully has my support and utmost faith that he is really going to go out there and do some amazing things. Guys, give him a chance. Give him a listen. He is a great talent. And most importantly, we want to know what you thought of today's episode. What did you think about Connor? What did you think about his backstory of going from athlete to musician? It's kind of like High School Musical, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a funny comparison. I'm just saying. Anyway, guys, we want to know what your feedback is. We want to know what you thought of today's episode. You can reach out to us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook at Music Matters Media. And today I am so extremely excited to be premiering Connor's new song called The Choices of John Still, which is the title track off of his new project that is set to be released September 7th. So without further ado, here is the premiere of Connor's new song, The Choices of John Still. Don't 